If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And uh, before you start, we're going to do some begging. Well, first of all, we're going to say thanks. Yeah. Uh, thanks to these people for donating since last week. David Muir, David Bright, Andrew Cockshoot, Scott Cooper, and Brian Gallagher. All you guys gave us some cold hard cash. Well, thank you very much. That is very kind of you all. We put our begging slot at the beginning of last podcast because we realized we actually have to pay a lot more than we thought we did. As much as we truly love coming into Chris's living room on a sunny and warm, sweaty Tuesday night, missing dinner, mm, missing dinner. gigs, mm, and gigs. just, uh, you know, chatting amongst ourselves, it does also cost us money um, to put this up and get it out there. So any donations are much appreciated. We uh, really rely on them to pay for our fees, our hosting, our broken headphones, all these things. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, you can go to unsungpodcast.net slash donate. Unsungpod.net. Unsungpod.net. See, you, sh- you should be able to go to unsungpodcast, but we can only afford one domain name. <laughs> yep. So if you can, please just donate. You know, even if it's 50 pence, 50 cents per episode, that, yeah. would, that would keep us going. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no minimum. To, if you want there's to do a big chunk, that's also great. Yeah, there's but no maximum either. Anyway, we'll let you carry on. Um, enjoy. Hopefully. <laughs> Alright, Climby Dave. Hi, that's me. <laughs> it's so hot in here. It's just so hot. It's been warm and sweaty in, in Glasgow for about a week and a half. Yeah, and, and Chris looks very fresh. And stark contrast to Clammy Dave. Yeah, I know. This is the age of Trump where <laughs> you just take somebody and give them a daft name like Clammy Dave to put you down, like Moist Mark. Britain Trump. 
Brindrum. <laughs> yeah, that's what everyone's calling them. Yeah. <laughs> Crispy Chris. Clean Chris. It's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> it's definitely in the top half of ones that I can deal with, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, there are some frightening nicknames when you have a surname such as mine and go to primary school. So it has the word sack in it. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else ever noticed. Oh, that's new. <laughs> I never thought of that before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, David, uh, as is not entirely in character, turned up rocking some pretty awesome snacks tonight. Yeah? Yeah, got some uh, little mini poppadons. Mm-hmm. Brand uh, name will not be mentioned, and, but they uh, are good. Really good. The best hummus. Yeah. Extra. Hummus extra. Yeah, it's got little fucking pine nuts or something on the top. <laughs> That's what makes it. And a little ooze of olive oil. Pine nuts are not cheap. Damn Truly no. not. Have you ever heard of uh, Chinese pine nut syndrome? <laughs> Can we get any more middle class in there? <laughs> <laughs> We're trying really hard. <laughs> have, you heard of, have you heard of Chinese pine nut syndrome? I mean, obviously not, David. Oh, well, I'm pretty sure it's that. But yeah, basically like one in every hundred thousand pine nuts has got a thing where you taste it and then it immediately affects your taste buds and everything you taste uh, tastes like metal for about a month and a half. Holy shit. Why is that Chinese? I don't know, it must have originated in, in Chinese in pine China, nuts. <laughs> all food tastes like oh, metal. Yeah, exactly, because it comes in the little uh, metal boxes. Because has got MSG in it. It happened to a pal of mine a few years ago. He you know, um, had a we've, we've actually, we've knocked MSG a few t- uh, a few times in this show, but... MSG's awesome. It gets it's, not rap, bad, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. Apparently there really isn't much to a lot of that power. There isn't, um... I listened to, uh, furthering my, my middle class credentials, I listened to a, a, a food podcast <laughs> and the guy who, who runs it, he's not, he like just has like MSG in his kitchen and puts it like in everything because it makes everything taste better and it's not that bad for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. You can buy people, it. people are kind of inherently suspicious of anything that you can't find just lying about a forest floor though, aren't they? So it's yeah. like if there was any kind of process involved, whoop, don't know about that mate, that'll kill you. Yeah. It's like, the thing is, half the things on forest floors kill you as well. Most of the things on forest floors kill <laughs> well, I mean, you. Funnily enough, I think the album that we're going to talk about today is like a sort of MSG album. It's definitely it's n- there's nothing natural about it at all. Uh, yeah, there's nothing. None of the instruments were f- could be whitt- whittled. Um, I have been listening to it, mm-hmm. and uh, it's evoked. A strange mixture of emotions within me. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I was just like, I wonder what he's going to think. Um, I yeah. think we're both more curious what Mark's going to think. Yeah, you? that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've chosen a King Knight by Salem. Came out in 2010, so yeah, I suppose I had t- never heard of this. Not, nor had I. I remember when it came out, and it was like big. And I suppose the main thing I wanted to maybe talk about was we talked at length about cool and what cool was mm-hmm. in terms of Sonic Youth, and if a band can you know be cool and then just shit something out, um, and are they still cool or whatever. And this is a sort of slightly different thing in that this band, well, this record in particular, but then this band and also this genre were like a sort of cool, hip flash in the pan. The genre being Witch House. The genre being Witch House. Um, And it really came and went very, very quickly. And it was very of its time, even though, you know, that time is only nine years ago. 
but yeah, I remember, you know, it came out and Pitchfork and Vice and then all the music press were like really, oh, what is this dark witch house stuff and what are this band Salem all about? And then, you know, that was around 2008, 2009. And to be honest, by the time this album came out, pretty much one of the only albums that came out from the genre, uh, this was like the sort of the big defining one. People were already forgetting the genre. Why did you choose this? What did it mean to you? Well, I remember liking it when it came out, but I kind of wanted to go back and reappraise it because so much of it was about its timing and it was cool and it had an aesthetic. So does it stand the test of time as an album? Because people have just kind of forgotten about it because it was basically a fashionable record. So like, can you go back and look at it and say, oh, it's actually objectively good, even though it was a fashionable piece of shit as well. Yeah, so, you know, does it stand outside the context of its release and its, you know, place? So, I mean, I remember people hated it when it came out as well because it had hype and because the, the genre had started to to sort of eat itself. Um, it's So, like, Witch House, maybe, I think, well, certainly merits a little bit more analysis before we go into the album itself because it's a really, like you said, it's a really fascinating phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It really only lasted for just under two years. It's kind of classed as, a, first time I've actually seen this, a micro-genre yeah, um, which kind of grew out of stuff like Chillwave, but then uh, was kind of really enamoured with occult themes. But th- there's a, like a lot more going on behind it. Um, influences for like witch house bands uh, that I saw cited were things like Cocteau Twins. Uh, the Cure, Christian Death. Dead Can Dance were quite a regular one. Um, mm-hmm. Psychic TV a wee bit. Coil, uh, even bands like Fields of the Nephilim and stuff like that. Yeah, proper uh, goth shit. Yeah. And yet, rather than going the direction of, like, the big industrial stuff, they went the direction of this quite sort of modern and okay, often quite minimalist electronica. Like, there's, mm. I mean, there's only three people in this band and certainly the arrangements are not particularly complicated, albeit some of the sounds are quite big. Um, but they also have this weird fetish for, like, really low-fi drum samples as well, I noticed. That's, mm. like, a kind of recurring theme. But it was trying to, like... I don't know, just trying to get to grips of what the fuck Witch House actually was, because I was aware of it, and everybody will start to see its sort of legacy, even even though it's sort of one of the things that I think will immediately tip you off that you're listening to a Witch House band is the name of the band. Does it have a symbol in it? And the, the, <laughs> the, the, way, the way it was written, yeah. What the fuck is actually going on with the typography? So like triangles, crosses, runes were a big part of it And elements are a thing called Unicode Which is frankly too boring to try and explain (laughs) I tried to go through Unicode last night And come up with a definition of it And I was like man I am 
fucking boring myself here, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. But yeah, you see a lot of symbols, and the most yeah. obvious being triangles instead of A's, but there's all manner of variations on yeah, it. Yeah, so some of the artists, you had uh, Mascara, who were actually stylized as M, hollow triangle, S, small Tiny triangle, black triangle. <laughs> C, hollow triangle, R, A. Yeah. But then there was a band called Horse MacGyver. Oh, they're brilliant. But they were formerly known as forward slash forward slash forward slash Filled in black triangle, filled in black triangle, filled in black triangle. Backwards slash. Backwards, backwards, yeah. And it kind of looks like a... Ru- uh, I, I, also, hang on, let's not, let's not miss out some of the good ones. Rituals. Well, no, I was just going to say that yeah. uh, that one with the three triangles looks like a bad sort of emoji version of the woman with three breasts out of uh, Total Recall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've got her arms and then three bikini That's tops. really odd uh, analogy uh, there. You've got uh, glass teeth. Who oh, with their yeah. their T's as like those little crosses? G L filled in black yeah. triangle S S like little crucifix three three little crucifix H. Uh, there's O, which is <laughs> little O big O little O big O big O. So I'm going I'm going to pronounce them as O. <laughs> um, that one rituals, which is a crucifix, then a rune, and then a crucifix. That's yeah. the cross of Lorraine. That second one is it? Yeah. Lorraine yeah. Kelly. <laughs> uh, Amon, which starts with a triangle and then just goes A-I-M-O-N yeah. um, Then easier ones like Crimes, C-R-I-M, 3-S So uh, easy Yeah Even uh, Chino Marino tried it out He had his band Crosses yeah. Which were just three crosses And they took the sort of aesthetic from this And a bit of the sound but made it in a more sort of post-rock thing Yeah, but I think he, that also that was, shows the, the kind of flash-in-the-pan nature of it That somebody was just like oh, Yeah, oh, good oh, choice oh. You know, that was a waste of time That Crosses album's not bad though I'll, Yeah, I like that record Like he did crosses and then he did palms. He'd also done team sleep. He just he's always doing these little lo-fi mm-hmm. sort of things. Um, Apparently the the phrase witch house was coined by a guy called Travis Egedy or Egedy who performed as Picture Plane. Picture Plane, who's actually um, yeah, pretty good good producer. Uh, he's got a r- fucking really good song that uses a Fleetwood Mac sample that I used to play a, a lot. It's oh, I can't remember what song it is, but it it goes do 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 do. Yeah, he kind of deconstructs it and does it really good. Yeah, cool. it's cool. Anyway, uh, well, that came from like a chat he had with. Uh, of all things, Pitchfork, believe it or not. Oh, no way. Flash in the pan hipster genres. It's uh, funny how like uh, British indie music was so flash in the pan with NME, like early 2000s, and then... American indie music. American indie music. Pitchfork. Yeah. Uh, a, a really interesting little uh, blip in the history of Witch House is that it almost became known as Rape Gaze. Yeah, which was this? an in-joke by a woman in a band who... It was two. It was Lauren yeah. Dillard and Lauren Flax, I think her name is, uh, from a, an act called Creep, who said they were using it as a way to troll, but it sort of backfired on them quite a bit. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it also sounds like a lot of the people involved in this genre were kind of trolling. Or not not trolling, but just don't really give a fuck. It's, um, I think, it's a very nihilistic genre 
and certainly we'll talk about this band in this record and it sort of becomes apparent that it maybe typifies a sort of um, misanthropic nihilism that a lot of the youth were feeling at the time. And I mean, I really certainly still do. <laughs> see, I was going to say, right, so I'm sure you can relate to that because one of the one of the parallels that's drawn with it a lot is new metal. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because it has that self-indulgent OTT sort of self-pity thing. And it's maybe not the angry new metal, but it's the more miserable new metal. <laughs> What's that band? Papa Roach, uh, yeah. Last Resort. And has just a, like leans into all its own sort of inclinations. Yeah, these guys are like, and, oh, we're going to be fucking miserable yeah, goths, so- man. I'm just going to fucking smoke so much weed and take so much ketamine and I'm fucking <laughs> miserable, man. But uh, check out my SoundCloud. <laughs> um, like, I think lyrically, it, it's interesting that it picked up, like, apparently some of the most common reference points. Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, uh, Suspiria, Dario, Dario Argento sort of stuff. Uh, and weirdly charmed the TV series. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, "What?" And then that, yeah. that, that, well, that I was mean, she's a witch. So you well, know. there's not three of them. Is there not like oh, yeah, three yeah, sisters? Yeah. And Aye. then they kicked one of them out because she was a nightmare at work and got somebody to replace her. Yeah, Rose McGowan replaced her. Anyway. Twenty years since Rose McGowan uh, went to the MTV Awards with Marilyn Manson wearing that dress. By the way. I don't remember that dress or really Rose McGowan. Oh, I remember it because I was 13 and it was in Kerrang and you could <laughs> see her boobies. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, other acts that popped up. Uh, there's a band or, or an act that's, I think, still going to some extent. Uh, Black Ceiling, spelled BLVK, or uh-huh. CK, sorry. Uh, BLVCK. He was pretty prolific actually, like some like thirty odd releases in the, the band camp. It's a guy called Dan Ocean who's a producer. Uh there's Wiccan, they were a or W I K A N, who were quite a kinda successful British act. Uh we had we had a girl in Glasgow, Housefrau, Claudia Nova. Yeah. Um, who was kinda making some waves doing it as well, I think. Is she not part of a label as well that sort of is somewhat... Yeah, there's a few sort of like dark wave gothy sort of stuff. I mean, there's the bands like uh, Crystal Castles as well and Purity yeah. Ring who have gone on to like sort of more mainstream success, Absolutely. but they certainly started out I didn't out know that Purity sort of Ring were a... But I, like looking back at it now, I'm like, oh yeah, it does kind of make sense. But. Yeah. Some of the like stylistic touchstones in it, uh, there was a lot of processed vocals. Mm-hmm. Especially, and this album in particular has a lot of that. And we'll touch on that for good and bad. As I said, the drum machines, especially drum machines or drum pads, using quite cheap and quite sort of throwaway samples. Yeah, you know, not like big cavernous snares and stuff, but little kind of glitchy sort of like. They've got little glitchy bits, and then they've got like sort of those uh, trappy hip hop yeah. snare rolls and stuff like that. 
Uh, interestingly, with the drum stuff, um, a big feature of it apparently was uh, stop-timed beats uh, and skipping beats. Stop-timed is kind of more of a jazz technique where you kind of create space for other instruments to come through in your music. Um, and supposedly, this is sort of unanimously uh, credited to a guy called DJ Screw. Yeah, for Chops and Screw. That's like pure southern hip-hop, man. Yeah, Chops and Screw. So he was born in Houston in 1971 and died in 2000 in a cocaine overdose. Um, it was not a cocaine overdose. Well, it's it purple drink. Purple drink. Yeah. Purple drink. What's that? That. Oh, well, that that's a long. That's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a yeah. mixture of codeine, uh, codeine cough syrup, and Sprite with purple Jolly Ranchers in it. Yeah, he was a big, uh, a big drinker of purple drink, and it was a huge reason as to why he was like. That's a huge yeah. uh, southern hip hop sort of cultural thing. It's like a sedative. It's like opiate. It's got basically like drink, drinking an opiate, a really strong opiate. Mm. There you go. Uh, so yeah, so he did this thing where he'd kind of play the same track on two turntables with one of them kind of offset, either a bit ahead or a bit behind, and then he'd super fast crossfade so that he he never actually lost the tempo, but the beats would sort of skip around within the bar, um, but then land again, and that is a technique that sort of was adopted by Witch House to some extent. Apparently, um, that's what it feels like when you're actually you know high on purple drink. Like that's where he got this idea for the sound from. Mm-hmm. Is from doing that is because like it feels like time is like everything's like all messed up and slow and fast at the same time. No, that's weird. That's interesting because mm-hmm. yeah, the, a big part of this was about them slowing stuff down. But yeah, staying on beat, mm-hmm. but it's sounding like it's sliding. As we will come to later, sometimes it does just slide. <laughs> sometimes it does just slide. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, like other I don't know other uh, techniques. Uh, backmasking was a kind of famous one as well. They they'd take a sample and play it backwards, so you kind of you, you kind of subconsciously got little hints of the tracks coming through without it being overtly that track. I think the band called Heretics sampled Carly Rae Jepsen. Thought you'd mm-hmm. like that. And uh, who was it? Thream T H R E E A M used a tattoo sample from that. All the things she said track a belter straight out of many of your playlists i'm sure david yeah i mean you actually touched on a really interesting fact about this as well okay so because it happened so fast not that many bands even had time to get an album ready and released Um, i know these guys formed in 2006 and they were formed in chicago but they didn't release anything was it 2008 2008 they released uh, two eps and it was like but it sold out in pre-sales that's yeah. fucking mental for a band's first EP. 500 copies sold out before it was even released. Um, MySpace, baby. Yeah. But it, it was interesting that, as you say, like it, it got into favour and then it fell out of favour so quickly Yeah, that a lot of bands didn't get a chance to capitalise upon it. And then by the time they did... And because it was so sort of fashionable and about the aesthetic... <laughs> That it sort of cannibalised itself very quickly. Yeah, there's so many bands sprung up doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that kind of comes to, I'll I'll talk a little bit about why I think the genre came into being. It was bedroom producers and therefore it was like quick to make. Yeah. And therefore it was quick to be oversaturated and lots of shit came out and people were like, all right, that's uncool now. And it immediately within you know sort of two years it became a sort of parody of itself that that is exactly it yeah because the, the the ability for copycats to proliferate because it's such low production low tech mm-hmm. so simplistic like it's that's almost a strength of it like the lower lower fi it sounds than yeah. better it was i think there was an act called white ring came out and we're just seen as immediately ripping off salem because it was so easy to ape those sounds
that's, that's, that's a pretty fascinating phenomenon And it's something that could only really have happened In that In this era I mean the hype machine yeah. By its very nature That phenomenon of Oh this band's trending online So therefore we're going to magnify their trending Therefore A&R guys and journalists Are just going to copy what we've got in this in this list And therefore anything that creeps onto the hype machine Rockets up the hype machine It's like a sort of feedback loop Where mm-hmm. it becomes It goes from being vaguely talked about To suddenly being all anybody's talking about And I've seen bands firsthand Just Creep on you and then shoot straight up to the top. Of it it's like a yeah. It's a, like parabolic. Just the the way that it the effect it has. Yeah, totally. And the effect the internet has on these bands. If you get that tiny little bit of momentum, mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been a much more linear thing prior to this technology. Yeah. And these guys uh, and this phenomenon, this this genre, were one of the most you know blatant illustrations of that. Um, I think. As well as that, as well as the death of the genre, though, I think the birth of the genre was very of its time. I don't think it would have could have happened any earlier than it did in a couple of ways. I think at that sort of time, the software had been in the hands of home producers for long enough that teenagers and, you know, people in their early 20s were starting to become, you know, pretty good at it. And the, the software was high spec enough that you could actually make, you know, pretty high quality stuff even if you wanted to then make it sound you know deliberately bad or whatever you you were also in the sort of couple of years after basically all music being available to everybody mm. um, that's the thing like so quite often we're trying to explain these phenomena and we're not taking into account the real world factors yeah like the broad, overall broadband, cultural like, context yeah. of broadband webs youtube yeah. Spotify had just come online and, you know, before that you'd been able to, you know, download anything from... Yeah. When you when you got to a point where you could stream videos on a phone and most people started to have those phones or when you got to yeah. a point where if you wanted a sample or if you wanted a, any film to pull off samples from that film, you could get it by downloading it in, you know, three minutes exactly. instead and your, of three your days. your cultural reference becomes so much wider and yeah. that's what I think you can see that in this genre and in this... Uh, album is that they take a, a whole lot of things and they cherry pick it from a whole lot of things and to you know varying degrees of success they manage to you know put it into a whole because they then also have the ability to you know produce that at home when i was a teenager i was into you know what i was into and i found my music on kerrang cds and then eventually i was able to download a song which took half an hour and if I downloaded something and I didn't like it, then you know that was a waste of half an hour. Yeah, it was. I used to leave them on overnight, and <laughs> yeah. that was just for individual songs. And so you'd you'd go out of your way to find things that you knew you were going to like. Whereas ten, fifteen years later, kids of the same age are able to just listen to an album and they can go, "Oh, I like that song. I don't like that song." You know, they can try different genres. They don't have to go up to HMV and, you know, in Inverness and hope that a specific thing has been stocked and, you know, buy the CD and take mm. it home and take it back if they don't like it. They can just go on YouTube and they're just bombarded with so much more variety of music yeah, and so, so genre really, that they are then able to sort of pick and choose. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. A, it's a really different economy, isn't it? It's, it's a really different and, that, and that's And that's where, you know, I think it's it's continued, obviously. And you can see that um, this, not this record, but this, this is a sort of, this foresaw a lot of trending micro genres that then be, that came into to being. And, you know, uh, it was the sort of beginning of uh, SoundCloud rap and Mumblecore yeah. and all of these sort of things 
that are now huge and you know they eventually you know things pop up in the mainstream that you you see but you know it's this yeah, was the beginning of bedroom producers being able to do really high-res stuff, share it with their friends, get followed, create a genre, and then, you know, for it to move into the mainstream. And also, and then, I think the, the era of, like, post-ironic genres, like Synthwave, which were sort of made as a joke, and yeah. then, you know, then it's like, actually, no, it's not a joke. I, I do kind of like that. Do I? Do, yeah. do I like that? I can't tell. And I think Witch House had an element of that of like I can't tell if I'm actually taking this seriously or not <laughs> I'm just yeah totally um, but it's certainly uh, one of the allegations I think is is probably true that I saw levelled at it was that the aesthetic overtook the actual music pretty quickly yeah um, you still see the aesthetic as we spoke about with the triangles we, we actually touched on this was it last week or the week before we were talking about that era of post metal where everything had triangles and polygons and you mm. know geometric shapes on it and then loads of bands still have the V's instead of the A's and the zeros instead of the O's and you know there's there's a lot of the the legacy of this mm-hmm. still weaving its way through a lot of the acts that sprung up shortly after because they were like well we want the edginess even if we want to sound differently yeah totally and yeah so it, it, it had some lasting impact albeit it seems to have been more of an aesthetic one the band themselves just to give some sort of basic ground and it's it's only three people it's a guy called John Holland Heather is it Marlat Marlat uh, and a guy called jo- Jack Donahue who's does a lot of the rapping and the programming on it. I, I found that Jack Donahue co-produced that song Black Skinhead on Jesus by Kanye. Oh, really? Yeah. That's amazing, eh? It's like, it's his only other major credit, but it's a big one. Um, maybe that's what he's doing now, living off the road. That was one that they ripped off Death Grips, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, uh, King Knight is their only album, but as David said, they had, they had a few EPs. Uh, Including the, the uh, superbly named... Yes, I smoke crack. <laughs> I mean, as a debut EP name, you might as well just head out of the park with that. Yeah. We are dodgy cunts. Yeah, it's really underwhelming explanation of where he got the name was oh, I think I saw it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I thought it would sound good for our record. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, cool really. man. Um they were on skins, which makes sense given the kind of hipster credentials of the music of Skins season five. The video actually for the song Dirt, which I think it's maybe from that first EP you're talking about. Um yeah, well they released the two EPs at the same time and funnily enough both EPs had the same track. For track number one Right uh, The video is mental Yeah like, The video is like a woman in a car Is she trying to kill herself with the exhaust of the car And then a, wo- a young woman appears in the bonnet naked dancing And it's all shot in like ultra low resolution Like it was shot in an old Nokia Yeah You know handsets It's cool in that sense And it's mm. edgy And it's you know it's, it's proper nudity And you can see how it would have been dead taboo And it does kind of play into the kind of witchy sort of Conjuring a spirit sort of thing it's, it's Whether that was actually intentional Or whether that was just a part of A series of coincidences that contributed To the band becoming Probably the most successful mm. From the genre itself or at least the most well known I don't um, know if I'd, I mean Crystal Castles mate But as Dave says though Crystal Castles sort of moved away From that this was the kind of most purely Witch house act Like purity ring as well you know there's Elements of it but I think they're I don't think you could kind of box them into just this genre. They certainly grew out of the genre. Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of like the genre is defined by how short it like lasted. Mm-hmm. So then 
maybe they are witch house and witch house did continue but we just decided to define it as not continuing <laughs> i don't know what's you know, me yeah i know yeah no it's just weird that you're like oh no witch house is definitely only those two years so um you know anything that bands do after that isn't you know it's just the grown beyond the genre well rather than the genre growing i choose to believe that uh witch house was killed mm-hmm. at south by southwest in 2010 <laughs> well funnily enough that was before the album came out Ah, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense then um, that was certainly when the hype was fucking crazy. yeah but like it, like pitchfork mentioned that video in the review of the album wow. which got a good score okay so very quickly before we touch on that because that's a big point uh mark you should have known given uh how suave you are these days that uh king knight the track was used to open and close givenchy's 2011 collection wow yeah, are those, those socks are Givenchy, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the track Trapdoor was used in Place Beyond the Pines 2012. Might come up later on that. Okay, there we go. Uh, Nexus hints. Uh, 2009, they had the Water EP as well. And 2011, uh, they had an EP called I'm Still in the Night. And then nothing. Which had a fucking great cover of uh, Alice DJ You're Better Off Alone oh really yeah I mean it's weird but it's great never heard it uh, and the only other thing that really jumps out is that in 2016 a photographer called Wolfgang Tillmans he somehow ended up leaking this news that uh, Salem were about to re- release, record and release some, some new stuff. Mm-hmm. And this ended up being carried across all manner of different platforms and magazines as news and then nothing really and came And then they never yeah. released anything. That was three years ago. Uh, pretty strange. Um, so, uh, <laughs> the show at Fairfort at South by Southwest. So when David first mentioned Salem, this, this is just... Fucking amazing. It's one of the best things I've, <laughs> I've seen this entire year uh, because, I, as I said, my favourite emotion is schadenfreude. Yeah. And this video, it, it, I've, I've rarely felt it so strongly. <laughs> um, so they played this show as part of South by Southwest and it's a big stage and they are clearly, clearly like mega hyped. Mm-hmm. It's one of those shows where you can tell that everybody was trying to cram into the... The hype was real. Yeah, the, yeah. everybody was trying to be there. Mm-hmm. And then what they... I mean, I'm going to cut it in. <laughs> and you, here's, a, here's a little clip. put in a little bit more in a minute but what they did was ghastly i mean fucking inept in every single way i mean it, it, you can't see them performing but the, the, to see them performing is even worse because you realize that yeah they're just 
completely lost up there. I, I mean, I, this is probably a bedroom project, right? This is probably yeah, exactly. some, but I don't know who was like, we need you to try and do it live, but it is a f- it is fucking abysmal. <laughs> there may have been a sound issue as well, though. Let's fuck off. I, <laughs> I did like. W- I don't like. I know that whole thing about like if you drink purple drink or whatever, you you know, time slips. But they were all drinking different amounts of purple drink, and I <laughs> Almost think certainly. the backing track sounds like it's drinking purple drink as well. I mean, it's just fucking so horrendous. Like, there's not when he's playing that drum pad, and he is literally just standing playing a drum pad. Yeah, even Nico did more. <laughs> <laughs> but it, do you know, he doesn't hit it once on time. But the funny thing is that, like, they were asked in interviews about that after, um, and they were just like, oh, and I watched it. Like, they they didn't seem to care. And that's something that comes through, like, any interview you read with them. They don't seem to care. And that might just be part of their act. But the fact that they never released anything after their first album kind of plays into, oh, maybe they just truly didn't care. They just weren't into it, really. They weren't. Although they got all that hype, I don't think they tried to do it in the beginning. They were just like sort of vehicles for the machine around them. Um, it makes they me truly, think about- they quite often like turn up late to interviews, don't even turn up to interviews. They sound like kind of dickheads, but they Boris also, Johnson. They, well, they just sound like they, they're not playing the game, even though the game has been played with them. Um, I would say like, it, it, that whole thing about oh, it seems like they really don't care does make me think a wee bit of like Jose Mourinho. When something goes shit, you just plead indifference. You just like eh, whatever. Yeah, but Jose Mourinho does that and then gets another job and then gets another job and continues to be in football management for you know twenty years. Whereas Salem released the record, it was good, it got good reviews, and then they did fuck all after that. So it kind of. Maybe they actually just weren't into it. <laughs> Can I put another wee bit of that life set? Oh yeah, I mean, great, it's great. You the one who's down with it. Y'all down with shit. But now my dick card, so go down on it. <laughs> so smoke it out. Let me choke you out. I'll choke you out till a ghost come out your mouth. Nah, uh-uh, I know me shit. <laughs> it's fucking tragic, man. Is, I mean, it is great purely because it, so it brings tough. me glee, but it is tough. Wow. Imagine being in the crowd. And the thing is, as well, when you watch a video, there's people down the front who are like doing that thing where you pretend you're into it. You're like, oh, it must meant to be like this. I get it. Oh, yeah. I get it. I'm, I'm evolved. <laughs> it's so I mean, if you go to, if you got a gig like that and it's that shit, it takes you a couple of songs to realise how shit it is, though. Because <laughs> you're like, like seagulls. I am buzzing for this. I am... Oh, 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 am I they missing can, something? Oh. They can still bring it back. It's only one song. They can still bring it back for the yeah, next exactly, one. Exactly, exactly. Oh, see, that's it. Flock of Seagulls at least whipped out Iran at the end and everybody was like, ah, you're forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys don't have an Iran. Um, but, you know, the weird thing is, I will agree, the album's actually not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. It, it, there is some there's some tones on this album as well that really, really remind me of some of my favourite tones and the fuck button stuff, which is really strange. Yeah. Albeit I'm not a fan of this lo-fi drum machine thing. Um, and I'm not a fan. And they've been criticised for the, the pitched down uh, vocals to sound more black. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that because, you know, also the guy that does that is gay and 
there's an interview where he says he's sort of taking just taking the piss out of masculinity rather than you know he's going hyper masculine of course because he's not like that but hey they're so vague in everything they say you can't really take anything on face value you yeah i mean i certainly of, don't think they're a big message band you know? no definitely not um so dave do you want to tell us a bit about the album and more to the point can we find out what mark thought of the find album? Out what mark <laughs> thinks well yeah so i mean it starts off with king knight the the title track You can definitely see how it was used in, you know, sort of for soundtracks, fashion releases, Jesus Christ, where it's big, it's dark, or it's overdriven. It's got this sort of ethereal soundscape thing. But yeah, it's kind of memorable. Then it moves on to Asia, which has got this sort of big industrial beats, but a really sort of sweet synth line, sort of sweet lost vocal. sounds kind of like Grimes um, if Grimes yeah, somebody we didn't mention eh? Grimes released two sort of mixtape albums this in 2010 and then her sort of big record came out a couple of years after so this was a sort of predecessor to Grimes yeah and but you know this the, already sounds like Grimes yeah all the, the, na- way. the naive electro vibe is kind of consistent with Grimes yeah totally and so this sort of foresaw that um, albeit Grimes on a massive digital ketamine come down um which i'm sure <laughs> yeah. she probably has now that she's with elon musk i'm if, sure they do exciting digital ketamine all the time I, yeah i mean if it was possible to play an mp3 at the wrong speed then i can imagine that's, that. a, that's the thing like i'm surprised that nobody's mentioned it so far but like all they sound like to me man is that as a southern hip-hop actor or not from the south and they're also trying to put sense on top of everything that's what all everything is yeah i mean that's something that we didn't talk about is like that's one of the influences that they had like they've taken stuff like electronic stuff like burial things like that they've taken uh the goth influence there's certainly like cure influence and huge cocktail twins influence but they're also huge uh you know southern hip-hop fans they were they did a remix for Gucci Mane and mm-hmm. things like that and you can see the sort of Lil Wayne influence and things like that as big well Big Boy as well like a Total lot, Big Boy songs sound like Big Boy like, like Outkast when Big Boy's in charge Yeah absolutely and there are definite tracks on here and you know particularly when he when he is trying to rap um and those trap beats that kick in you mm. know that is a, a huge influence and if that's your touchstone of all their influences then it sounds like they're not particularly good at that bit of it mm. but then i suppose that's kind of what they are is a huge melting pot of lots of different things yeah and i think i think it sounds like they are taking that genre okay maybe not doing a particularly amazing job of it but they are then applying this really coarse and interesting saturated often quite overdriven layer of synth to it yeah that fleshes it out in a way that you know I, d- I don't really get much out of that stuff to be honest with you generally speaking i find this probably more interesting even if it's less competent and i, I saw somebody online saying i don't listen to king knight anymore because silent shout existed before it by the knife
and it's like oh, I get that they take a lot from the knife as well but yeah they do yeah. they take a lot from the knife and then add weird shit to it this is not a, just a straight electronic dance record yeah the knife are again another one that we missed out and I don't think sonically there's a lot I think there's a, an attitude thing and I think there's um, an aesthetic quality taken from the knife and the fever ray kind of thing but I, yeah um, it doesn't have the kind of banger sort of vibe yeah of no I mean at no point do. does this uh, record threaten to have a, a floor filler yeah um, I mean it just sounds like they're all too lazy to dance I think that's, that's <laughs> like genuinely me. yeah that's for me why it comes back to Southern Hip Hop because that's the kind of totally yeah we're all chilled all kind of melted half melted vibe do you know what I mean like plodding yeah. along that's the, the total, a total trap thing it's just like the, the the drum thing you were talking about total trap vibe yeah you know I mean like mm-hmm. uh, and it works really well at points it does yeah it totally does like um, yeah like Frost works it brings in these trap beats that track three And it's sort of counterpointed by these um, female cocktail twin vocals. Yeah, and, and I think it, it works there. Me, like it felt shoegazy to me. The way oh, shoegazy, yeah. yep. Shoegazy yeah. is a big element. You think mm. in the background of this, like you can hear sort of like the saturation of like my bloody Valentine and stuff as well. Yeah, and the lo-fi sort of the unfussiness of those bands too. Uh, sick. Um, this one brings in the sort of rap vocals. Yeah, I mean, I can give or take them. They don't really, they don't work at all for me. The vocal hook was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, although the song's probably a bit too long. Um, but the southern rap thing just, they're fucking, they're for Chicago and, and for Michigan, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. how do they even, like, they don't even have a claim to southern hip hop. Yeah. I, what's interesting is they do have, like, that sort of Chicago um, footstep sort of production vibe as well. Um, that's another one of the many micro genres or genres that they, they sort of take upon. Um, there's a nice wee synth lines in stick, but yeah, I just I don't think the 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 rapping is the part of the album that works. Yeah, I didn't hate it, but I knew something was amiss. I I, I didn't know the, the the composition of the band before I listened to the music, and it was only when I looked at them I was like, who the fuck rapping? And then I kind of found out about oh okay, so they're pitching down and slowing down the vocals to yeah. make them sound like a fucking six foot five black yeah. rapper, you know? And it's like. Yeah. Uh, that, but a lot of black artists do that in Southern Hip Hop as well. That's, yeah, I that's mean, the total feature. Is, I'm not like, I, I get why people are a wee bit miffed by it, but, you know. Yeah, I just, I'm just not sure if it actually just works on the record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Release to Boar, I really like this track actually, because it kind of brings in that acoustic instrument in that sort of big feedback noise, and then mm. it sort of builds up and builds up. Sort of like a sort of deconstructed drone track that yeah kind of gets well, bigger and bigger. Just mm. like shoegaze is obviously a big contributor. Drone is definitely a big contributor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Trapdoor is probably weakest for me on the record. Yeah, but yeah, that's the one that that helped propel them because that's the one that got into a place beyond the pines. Yeah, 
Red lights. Yeah, this is one that I was just like, this is just shoegaze for kids that took class A drugs instead of weed in yeah, high school. Totally. <laughs> and listen to beats rather than metal, you know. They're just doing exactly the same thing, playing with pedals and effects and making ethereal noise but they're way more stoned <laughs> uh, then Hound is like this dark heavy oppressive it's got quite interesting percussion percussion and this was the one that I was like this band just sound like they can't dance because they're too high they're like there's no yeah. way that they're gonna get up there and you know move it's too late in the party yeah, yeah yeah totally this is like 5 a.m shit 6 a.m uh tracks Yeah, pretty cool. Um, I was thinking of um, Vatican Shadow, who's also known as Prurient. He's a guy oh, called... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, know, Dominic, I didn't know Vatican Shadow, but I know Prurient. Yeah, he, Dominic Hado, I think his name is. And, uh, I mean, he's been releasing albums kind of like this, you know, for years and years and years, and tracks that sort of vibe. Then Tear... More sort of hip hoppy, trappy one. It reminds me of Saint Clown Posse, the vocal on that. <laughs> yeah, never thought of that. <laughs> uh, Just, fucking rainbows, how yeah. magnets? How do they work? Fucking hell, Mark! You um, pulled that one out the fucking final. <laughs> and then Killer, I think it, the album ends on a real high. It's got the sort of guitar in it. It shows. It's, it sounds like the Cure on a massive come down, really, showcasing that sort of cold wave sort of stuff that's you know got big ever since. The acoustics work really well, and the dynamics on this track, you know, yeah, it finishes on a high. I think it's the most dynamic song of the record. I think. Yeah, totally. Um, it's like you know, it's it's that thing. It's like whenever anything's blown up, whether it's burritos or Satan or fucking vegan cheese yeah like the first people to get there make what they can while it lasts and yeah. then the trend moves on and folk get into kill zonies or whatever the fuck it is yeah. that comes next but yeah it invariably it doesn't last and and you're foolish maybe to try and make it last so there is maybe something to be said for the fact that they haven't tried to yeah do it's just interesting since. that this was the album that came out that sort of defined the band well defined the band but it definitely sort of defined that genre it was an interesting genre that could only have been a product of its time and then it, it sort of, yeah, it foreshadowed a lot of stuff that you're seeing now. It's, you know, there's gothy cold wave stuff. There's, you know, sort of dark synth stuff. There's uh, like SoundCloud rap. All these things, mm. you know, have their roots in the same sort of thing that this did. It um, is interesting. You kind of touched on it, though, the hostility that there is to some of the sort of 
late arrivals to the party. So some of the people that started doing the witch house stuff around about 2011, 2012, it was like, yeah. fuck off. You know, this is past, this is done. You know, you guys yeah. are just trying to cash in on something that's been and nobody gives a shit about it anymore. So there's almost like a, there was a, it, it flipped and there was like an, Acrimony towards these people, like like a resentment of the fact that it's like, yeah. you think you're fucking doing? You think you're going to bring this back? Fuck off! And that's uh, do you know what? This, a similar thing happened. Um, what remind it reminded me of? Um, what what was that band that like just totally ripped them off? Uh, White Ring. Um, reminded me of a band that came out uh, after Def Evan, and they sounded exactly like Def Evan, and they even had a song that was called. Uh, Moonbather rather than sunbather. <laughs> um, fuck, I can't remember what they call it. And then they've since tried to like, you know, become a legit black metal band. Um, but like the song that they released was fucking brilliant. That Moonbather song was really good, but it just sounded like Death Heaven. Yeah. And then everybody was like, when they tried to do it any more than that, people were like, oh no, I mean that boat is passed. You can't just copy it. It's you're like, like it's you're a year and a half late, and it really reminded me of this because it was so fashionable as well. Yeah, it's like being a new metal band in 2006 or 2008 or something like that. It's like, yeah. you know, people almost scoff at you for it. And rightly so. But you could have been the best new metal band ever in 2008 and people would be like, fuck off. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I mean, yeah, Mark, did you like the record? It was pretty dull. Yeah, pretty dull for Mark. I mean... I expected some more controversial. Yeah, damn it. I wanted him to hate it or... I thought he was Come in with triangle tattoos On his the knuckles <laughs> I thought for a minute He was going to be really in it Yeah I'll be honest Yeah No I just it, It's Good to have on in the background Because it doesn't really have any Huge defining features to it Everything just is kind of a wash to me Um, I had to think about it Obviously I told you what I thought about it there But <laughs> um, For me I just found it really dull uh, I think It's hard for me to take it seriously Having seen that live set I yeah. think that really I was listening a wee bit and then I looked into that to see what they looked like and who they were and that's when I first saw them as well when I was like who's doing the rapping uh, and after seeing that live set I was like oh these guys are a fucking farce and right enough by the end of their career they had become like a sort of a satire of themselves or yeah. something like that yeah you know, much like the genre was a satire yeah, of itself they were, they, they were sort of mocked a bit in the press it's like oh these guys again fuck's sake and yeah, it shows how fickle people yeah, are. Exactly, because that was the same press that two years ago were saying this is the fucking hottest shit ever. By the way, yeah. like they had a like they were new band of the week in the Guardian and things like that. Yeah, and it's like, all right, you know, it's you that created them, so don't fly with it. a cross, you get shot with a cross. But you know, I actually, I mean, I w- I just wanted to talk about this genre, and I was interested to see if this album stood up to reappraisal, and I was pessimistic going in because I haven't listened to it for a long time. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by mm-hmm. it. I, it's a better overall record than I remember it being, because I always well, really mate, liked King Knight. Can I just say as well, track? I really relate to that because the album I've picked for next week, I've had the exact same emotions. <laughs> <about that>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I'd I'd like to put this in because it's an interesting little signpost in the last sort of modern history of electronic and we, many genreed music. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in fickle hipsterdom um so you, and it's actually a stand-up record that i think works you're out in, of context you're into it mark's against it uh and i'm kind of on the fence yeah and i'm on the fence because i actually don't think the record's that bad but i'm aware of the, the the very notion and the fashion of the way the band became so successful how bad they were live 
the there's something about that just prevent I mean I don't think they're a classic band by any stretch of the imagination but yeah I also think it's an interesting genre yeah you know, it's not a great genre in terms of the overall quality of the things it's produced but there are some great moments in it mm-hmm. and it, you wouldn't want to not represent a genre and these guys are the most prominent members debatably of of the entire genre um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of I'm, I'm going to stay in the fence that's alright so that puts yeah, it as a, that puts it as like a, a break even here truly um, up um, to the listener yeah we'll see what people say so go to our Facebook facebook.com slash unsung podcast mm-hmm. and uh, you can vote unsung pod unsung pod dot net oh sorry yeah fucking hell no, I'm sorry guys Just can he get the help Mm-hmm. Um, so did you get a Nexus for this? Yeah, so we're supposed to do a Nexus every week um, We pulled it out the hat last week Do you remember yeah. who it was? Uh, it was Kilgore Trout Yeah The character from uh, many different Kirk Vonnegut Protagonist. movies yeah. uh, Movies? Books, sorry Well, movies oh. as well Well, yeah, that's true yeah, yeah. But um, So a little bit of Nexus Who was that chosen by? Morna Cannon <laughs> Yeah, that's right So I suppose I should go first. I've got to get from Salem, a band who appear to have no friends, <laughs> <laughs> like miserable cunts that didn't work with anybody, and get to a fictional character from uh, the mid-20th century. I've got a good one. Uh, mine's all right. So uh, Salem did a remix of Stay Away by uh, Charlie XCX. Uh, Charlie XCX, the... Uh, British hipster pop star who I, I couldn't name a single song by. Oh, I'm going to see. I bought tickets to go and see her live. I know many of her songs. She's fucking great. She works with really cool people. That's kind of her best thing. Is she? She fucking knows what's cool, and has really good producers and stuff like that. Um, she got some bangers anyway. Uh, she released a track called Boys, uh, two years ago, and the video in Boys basically just featured lots of men doing things in, in a pink room like Justin Bieber had a chainsaw and was it actually Justin Bieber <laughs> it was actually Justin Bieber makes me fucking hate her she just uh, she just got loads of her pals and oh, people into like potter about fucking disgusting because you know she's not pals with them you know that the record label just yeah, were yeah, like yeah. Oh, blah 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 but this we're talking mainstream like pop here Taylor Swift posing with Haim yeah it's mainstream fuck pop off. of course it is it's bubblegum mainstream pop but it's um, folk used to be pals Fucking bands used to actually be pals as well as it being like advantageous that they were seen in photos anyway, together. Anyway, uh, <laughs> one band that appears in the boys video are the Sweatshop Boys. Have you heard of the Sweatshop Boys? No. no. Fucking really good. Uh, one member of Sweatshop Boys being the actor uh, Riz Ahmed. Really? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, they're like a sort of Indian, American, British, Pakistani hip hop group. Um, Is he still doing it? Yeah, he still does it. That's mad. Does live shows every now and then, does festivals. Um, their album Cashmere came out in 2016. It was actually, yeah, 
pretty good. Uh, Riz Ahmed was in, he's been in loads of stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, along with being a rapper, he's also more famously known as an actor. I first came to my attention in Four Lions, mm-hmm. um, but he's been in a bunch he's of other stuff. He's got some really big roles now, yeah. Yeah, and he was um, in Jason Bourne in 2016, mm-hmm. which was, was that the last Bourne film that came out? Yes, I think it was. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third Bourne film that came out featured, obviously, Matt Damon, Julia Stiles, uh, but it had a certain Mr. Albert Finney as the psychologist who, turned out, had overseen the whole project the treadstone project in the movie uh and albert finney who died this year uh english actor um and at one point he portrayed kilgore trout uh in the 99 film version breakfast of champions yeah with bruce willis yeah i almost went down that route so uh yeah there you are i've never seen that film actually i've read the book but it's decent. i, the book I didn't is even know that film existed brilliant. yeah the book's brilliant the film yeah okay yeah well okay. there you go that's my uh Nexus. Mark, you or I? Yep, uh, I'll go. Okay. Um, so Trapdoor, as we've said, was featured in the By film. Can I just say Mark right now is talking like he's in a witch house band? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> thought, thought I'd keep it, keep it lo-fi. Uh, Trapdoor was featured in A Place uh, Beyond the Pines, which we've already mentioned. Um, that film also featured Emery Cohen, who we most recently saw as Varg in Lords of Chaos. He was also in a film called War Machine, which starred Brad Pitt, Ben Kingsley, Tilda Swinton and many others. Russell Crowe was also in that film, but he's uncredited. He plays a US Army general. Russell Crowe was also in the film The Man of Steel, where he plays Superman's dad, Jor-El. <laughs> ah, I can't believe he's moved into dad roles. Yeah, exactly. Um, Man of Steel also features a Canadian actor called Mackenzie Gray, and in 2016 he starred in an, ad- an adaptation of the Kurt Vonnegut short story To Be or Not To Be, which is, oddly enough, also a novel mentioned by Kilgore Trout in Vonnegut's book God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. Okay. Um, Bloody great. I don't think I went via any movies. And I'm starting to try and avoid going via movies because it's almost too easy sometimes. Whoa, whoa no. Uh, okay. Salem, the band, are named after the city of Salem because of, you know, witchiness and that. Um, oh, but you're going down the town route. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's um, a famously I, I went, difficult one, isn't it? I spent it? some time in Salem uh, with the band and uh-huh. we were there at just before Halloween and that but yeah. that town is wild it's they invented so witches intense so yeah. it's the world's Halloween capital yeah and uh, it was an interesting experience in October in Salem absolutely beautiful as well because of the colours and all the jack-o'-lanterns on their uh, porches America just goes fucking mental for yeah, Halloween like, though. especially there like, especially there anyway so we spent some time in Salem Salem uh, the city is the Birthplace and the home of the Satanic Temple, which mm-hmm. is a, a non-theistic religious and political activist group founded by Lucien Greaves and Malcolm Jarry. Mm, Satan. Mmm, <laughs> Satan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the noise I make when I think of hummus. <laughs> so, in, two th- in July of 2013, uh, the Satanic Temple held a pink mass over the grave of a woman called Catherine Johnston, who uh, happens to be the mother of Mr. Fred Phelps, the founder of Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, her grave's in Lauderdale, Mississippi. Uh, the ceremony was officiated by Lucien Greaves, uh, one of the founders, and two gay men uh, made out 
over the uh, above the grave while Lucian Greaves put his genitals in the tombstone. Um, and this was a, a classic move. And this was a, as a response to Westboro Baptist Church picket in the funerals of victims of the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, if you haven't seen it, by the way, the the most recent instalment of Louis Theroux's visits to see them, the third. Many many years apart, all of them uh, is really fascinating, um, especially for the revelations about Fred Phelps and his possible change of heart slash dementia towards the end of his life. But Fred Phelps registered the website GodHatesFags dot com notoriously. Speaking of the word fags, I regularly kept forgetting that the word fags means something totally different in America. So, so you kept asking for. No, I, I, I just oh, you don't was smoke. Anyway, kind yeah. of going, I love fags. Oh, yeah. I love fags, me. Love oh. me a good fag. But it's, <laughs> first it's just, thing in the morning, last thing at night. Just like you see, going, where's Calm? He's waiting for a fag or whatever, and people would be like, "What you? What?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's just sorry, it's a thing." <laughs> anyway, two kind of strands off the same thing. GodHatesFags.com. Obviously, uh, Fred Phelps spent a lot of time talking about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was son of God. Um, I mean, that's fucking tenuous, Christopher. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> You're slagging yourself for movies. That's only 50% uh, right. of the link. Uh, so, Jesus and Lazarus, as it turns out, were mentioned in a, a kind of lost book of the Bible called The Secret Gospel of Mark. Uh-huh. Uh, and in that book... Um, there are various sort of allusions to the relationship between Jesus and Lazarus that has led a lot of biblical scholars to come round to the idea that Jesus and Lazarus may have been lovers at some point. There's a story about Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from death, but then spending the night with him. There's various specifics about the use of language, about how uh, the way they're referred to, and the only other people in the Bible that are referred to with those terms were lovers. Anyway, you can research that yourselves. But as it turns out, GodHatesFags.com, but it may well be that Jesus and Lazarus and those lost book, that lost book of the Bible, Secret Gospel of Mark, was indeed, as Fred would say, a fag. Um, and, you know, if that book had come out, people would have very different attitudes towards homosexuality. And that would be a good thing, certainly as far as the religious communities are concerned. But um, as it turns out, uh, Jesus, at the Last Supper, shortly before he, he better did, have done a fucking... Remix with Fred Phelps Because <laughs> if you're connecting Fred Phelps to Jesus By the fact he believes in him Come on I mean I believe in fucking Tom Cruise It doesn't make me mean I've worked with him Mate you're not famous for oh, believing in Tom Cruise though If you were famous for believing in Tom Cruise I would give you that Alright I mean we've, we've linked Tom, All right, carry We've on. linked Tom Cruise to Scientology It's no more tenuous well, I mean, it's no more tenuous. It's a religion. It's what he believes in. Anyway, and he's famous for it. Uh, I mean, he works for the corporation. For anyway, you know. so Jesus, prior to his death at the Last Supper, used uh, what is actually called the Holy Chalice. And also, that's the chalice that apparently Joseph of Arimathea used to catch Jesus' blood at the crucifixion. Now, the Holy Chalice is often conflated with the Holy Grail. And supposedly it's not actually the same thing. I see what you've done here. Uh, Carry on. And so for some people, the Holy Grail was actually a stone, a rock. It wasn't uh, a chalice. But in the 12th century, uh, a fella called Robert de Baron wrote a pivotal text, that, the name of which uh, escapes me now. But A real person wrote a thing? Great. Yeah. <laughs> Robert de Baron wrote a pivotal text in the 12th century. That's fairly specific. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, and it... Was the ty- It was the moment where the Holy Chalice and the Holy Grail sort of became uh, inter- uh, interconnected. Uh, in 1939, a German, I think he was German, maybe he was Austrian, uh, a fella called Ernest Schaefer, who was a very high up member of the Anerbe, 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 I don't know, 
Long story short, uh, it was a Nazi organisation uh, promoting the Nazi occult Aryan myths. Now, we actually spoke about this in the Black Metal episode. If you didn't hear our Black Metal episode and you dig the occult stuff, go back and listen to it because we spent a lot of time digging into the, uh, the, the occult origins of Nazism. Um, but Ernest Schaefer actually did lead an expedition to Tibet to try and find the Holy Grail. This is the sort of where the Indiana Jones stuff yeah, all comes yeah. from. But it, it was actually true that he did do this mission, albeit a lot of people said it was stupid. And, it and was. his face wasn't actually melted off like it is in Indiana no, Jones. But it should have been. Um, <laughs> but he did it on orders of Heinrich Himmler. Obviously Heinrich Himmler was uh, doing that for the benefit of Adolf Hitler. Uh, he was his right-hand man. And in the 1999 collection by uh, Kirk Vonnegut, God bless you, Dr. Kevorkian. Uh, Dr. Kevorkian was a famous American doctor who was a proponent of euthanasia. In that book, Dr. Kevorkian helps Kurt Vonnegut die momentarily uh, so he can have these near-death experiences, go to heaven and interview people in heaven. Uh, and as part of those interviews, he interviews Hitler, uh, as well as Shakespeare and Kilgore Trout. Well, there you are. I Excellent. took a bit of a fucking doing during that one. I thought that was quite good. Well, I mean... You're just jealous, guys. It's the the fact that you slagged us off for people appearing Problems. in movies Crying together out. and then you <laughs> used very vague theological connections. So, you know, that's all we're saying. That's all we're saying. I like non, the, Non-canonical? Yeah. Non-canonical. According to the... Well, anyway, that's uh, been our episode on Salem, King Knight. Uh, Not Satan. Not Satan. Sadly. Salem. He got a few mentions. Did get a few. What are we doing next week, Chris? Well, I believe it's next your... week... I is it something that also could be dated uh, to a very specific time? <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling a bit saucy and I was had had a few options, but I went with the album www.pitchshifter.com by the artist Pitchshifter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have enjoyed uh, reacquainting myself with that record, actually, and some of their other work. Mark, did you know Pitchshifter? Yes, I, they were all over crying and stuff when yeah, the record yeah. came out, so I'd heard them before. David, I know you knew Pitchshifter. I mean, obviously. Yeah. And to go with that, we had a little draw earlier. We're not going to do it right now. Out of the hat was pulled. Uh, it's Leather Nun. Leather Nun, which was suggested to us by the listener Corey Stewart. So Leather Nun are a Thank you, Corey. Swedish band from the sort of yeah, 80s that uh, we somehow have mentioned a few times through Next Eye. Well, yeah, and so. I think it was a Butthole Surfers episode. Yeah. Um, well, we kind of made the point that you could probably do a Leather Nun Nexus and then Corey called us on that. So uh, yeah. now is the time. Uh, anyway, so thanks for listening. Yeah, that was another quasi-satanic occult episode. There's been quite a few of these. Yeah, but this was like a meta-hipster satanic one. Yeah, that's true. They don't actually believe in saying they just watched Blair Witch Project. There's a lot more humus in the room. Oh, let's <laughs> eat the humus. Okay, thanks guys. Goodbye. Thanks. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.